I see money as an enhancer of what is already there. So if you feel unsafe with money when you have no money, you will feel unsafe with money when you have money. If you have drama around money, you will have drama around money when you create it. Are you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com slash go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I am super excited to bring to you today a fabulous woman and business owner in her own right. She's going to share a ton of information with us today about her own personal journey in growing a seven-figure business and also some incredibly tactical tips and perspective on, wait for it, wait for it, Facebook groups. I am personally very excited about picking your brain about that. So welcome to the show, Christina John Dolly. It's so good to have you here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Okay, let's dive in. So this is going to be a great episode. Um, if you're walking around or doing things, I want you to grab a notebook because we're going to get really technical and go into some of the tactics around Facebook groups, which may or may not be the right fit for you and your business. So for some people, they're the, a great fit. And for others, it's not a great fit. And we're going to dive into that in full transparency. And Christina does not know this, but in full transparency, we're having growing pains uh, with our Facebook group right now. And I was just talking to my team about like, let's trash the whole thing. Let's start all over again. And and I'll share my personal journey with that because it's gone from great to, to okay, to mediocre, to good, to like, let's throw the towel in. There's been a whole a whole up and down with it. And I really, I love to share the, the truth behind how I engage with um, different aspects of marketing and business and things like that. So anyways, we'll get to that in a little bit, but I wanted to start our conversation off with your journey in, in, or really, let's start with your journey around your relationship to, with money. I talk a lot about money beliefs and our relationships with money. And what I think was interesting when I was, you know, connecting with you and finding out a little bit more about your background is that in your twenties, you became a millionaire. You did something that few people ever do and you did it in your, your twenties and then you lost it. Right. And you like it did, it went someplace. And, and then, you know, you, you've done, you did great, you know, money work again in corporate. And then you shifted to your own business and you built a seven figure business. And I think there's a lot in that story, just even touching the surface of it. So I want to start there. So can you first share what, what's the story around becoming a millionaire in your twenties? How did you do that? How did you lose that money? Like what, what happened there? Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. So I, I think it all started from coming up in a very middle class home. We had, you know, just enough, but just enough. Like there was never enough for extras and it was like just enough to get by. We always had food and we always had clothing, but there was never, never any of the things that the other kids were getting. <laughs> but, and so 
early on, I remember as a kid, and I don't know if you remember, like the Sears catalog at Christmas time was like a big deal. Like, oh my God, can we yes. pause for a second? Did you like circle everything? I wanted the satin sheets and the satin, it was the 70s, so satin was really big. I wanted like the satin zip up bomber jackets and the little shorts. Oh my God. I just, it was, it was all that and more. Oh my goodness. It yeah. was. And it was like the biggest deal when it arrived and you'd spend hours going through, yeah, circling all the items that you wanted. And so as a little girl, I'd be circling it. And we had this arrangement with my family, with my parents and my brother and I, we were allowed to get one piece of furniture for our bedroom set per year. So we'd have to pick, like, would this be the year we get a nightstand or would this be the year that we get a mirror? And, and so every year we'd circle the, the item that we were going to get and we would get this new, this new piece of furniture. And my brother, when he turned 12, the final item that he got was a desk because we're not doing homework earlier years. And so when he was 12 years old, he was going to get this desk. So I had been dreaming for years about finally having all of the pieces to the set that I wanted. And I remember that as, as that year came to an end and I didn't, and I never received Christmas came and I never received that piece. And my parents told me, I'm sorry, Christina, we can't afford it this year. I was devastated and I was angry. And I remember vowing to myself, I am never going to have money be a reason that I can't get what I want. That's it. And so I feel like it started at a young age of just having like this drive to make something more of myself and to create money. Can we just pause there? Let's pause there for one second. Cause I think that's really interesting. How old were you at that point? What was that moment? 12. 12. I think that's really interesting because some, some people might have believed that it was okay not to have enough. Like they would have agreed. We, we either agree with our parents or we, um, say that that will never happen to me. I'm going to be completely different, whether it's money stuff or character traits or whatever, right? That you either become the alcoholic or you never drink again, right? Like there's, there's this push pull, um, that, that people choose, I think one way or the other way. So I think it's really interesting that you chose that's not me. Like you, you had a stance there. Was that, do you, do you remember consciously choosing that? Or is that, uh, looking back, you recognize, oh, that's where it started. I remember many moments where I kept solidifying that belief all the times it was not having, it was a no, it was like locking in another yeah. point in time of, of like, there was like fire and feist to, to create something different. So that's the first memory that I had of really making a decision and kind of a vow about that. But there was many, many moments after that, that I can think of that kept validating that commitment and that desire, even though I had no idea what it was going to look like. And it was interesting because when I was 17 years old, my dad passed away suddenly in a car crash. And I remember just being devastated. I was a teenager that was up to no good. I was experimenting with drugs. I was spending time with the wrong people. I was not going to school, skipping classes. I was up to no good. And so when my father died, can I you pause there so for a guilty. second? I'm sorry yes. for interrupting the father story. No, but I just it. have to have a, yeah. a moment here. We have the Sears catalog in, in, in common. And that was my high school life. Like I was, I was a great student and getting good grades, but I was also ditching class and taking my father's car up 
PCH and like checking out the boys playing volleyball in Santa Barbara, right? Like I was so up to no good. I was, I was dating terrible men and all sorts of things, right? Okay. So that's really funny. Uh, there's, uh, we're going to have to talk about how that, what, what that drove in you. So please continue. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so when my dad died, I felt like, oh my gosh, like he knows everything now. Like he knows all of the things that I was doing. And I just thought I was hiding a lot of that because on the outside, same thing. I was getting good grades. You know, I got snuck up my way out of trouble many times, you know, figured out, figured out working the system. And suddenly I thought, oh my gosh, it's all in the open now. And so it really drove me to want to do better to, um, to be a good example, to feel like I was making my dad proud, to feel like I was doing something and making something of myself. And so I completely shifted. I stopped hanging around with the people. I graduated early. I was working jobs. I wanted to take a year off after high school before college. I was working three different jobs and I got hired at this financial firm. And I was at the, as I got hired there, I was dreaming about owning a house. I had no idea about manifesting at the time, but I was already buying stuff for the house that I was going to buy. I was well, I'm looking at real estate, going to open houses. And I got this job in the financial market, like wealth management. And it was just like a basic entry level administrative job. And one of my first tasks was I was asked to print off statements for clients. And so I went and printed off statements and I grabbed these pieces of paper off the printer and I was staring at the zeros on the statement. And I was like, what? Like, did people actually have like this much money? And it was the first time that like, it was always outside. Like, of course, you know, the rich and famous people are rich and famous. And, but it was the first time that I saw like in my own world, like what wealth could look like and be like. And I was completely blown away. Yeah, I I I love that. That was like a it it hit home for you that it was possible that this was not completely outside of the possibility. And and I wonder that a lot sometimes like we look at lifestyles of the rich and famous. Okay, I'm going to date myself, but like in the 80s it was Dallas, right? Like you just like you saw this uh, this wealth, but it never felt I never felt like I was at a loss for not having that wealth because it felt completely unattainable to me, completely not my world. I, I too had that middle class world where, you know, it wasn't, we weren't poor, but we, we weren't, you know, buy anything you want. I, I, you know, had the same circling of the Sears catalog and, you know, in the eighties, I remember getting the Esprit. Did you get Esprit catalogs? I and, yes. <laughs> and and they had the pictures of all like the full outfits, and I wanted all of the the pieces to go together, kind of like you wanted the whole bedroom set. And I had enough money for one shirt, right? Like I couldn't get the shirt and the pants and the and the this and that. And I just remember feeling very very trapped by that. So here's this experience where you start seeing the possibility and then how do you leverage that how do you, how do you take that from zeros on a page and creating that for yourself 
So as I, so I started, just started like in this position, it was like, we basically manage wealthy people's money. And so I was just surrounded by wealthy people, like those that are like the most elite in the community, the most successful in the community, whether they were business owners or there were mom and pops that had like mom and pop shops that just, you know, put money aside to top executives, to cities, like managing the city, like um, the city government money as well. And I remember that one of the the people that worked at the firm, she said to me, she gave me probably one of the greatest pieces of advice. She says, don't get stuck in the water cooler talk with all of the administrative staff. Stay out of the complaining and the conversations that go on there and choose who you spend your time with. Be in the room with those that are succeeding in this firm, right? Those that are focused on And I was like, that at 20 years old, I was 20 years old when I got hired there was the best advice ever. And so I just started spending time with people. I just started like learning and thinking like them and understand, like I was so curious and they were so happy to share, like, how did you create this? And what did you do? And I just got obsessed with learning about them. And so in my twenties through real estate and through the stock market, I became a millionaire and my salary at the time was maybe like $30,000 a year. So my (laughs) income was make me rich. (laughs) Christina, I freaking love that. So two things, one power of mentorship, right? Not only did that woman say like, choose who you hang out with, but you paid attention and you made that choice. So the power of choice there, which is huge. We, we make these little, they seem like little mini decisions, but look at, look at what that created for you. You then started to hang out with people. And one of my questions for, for you is around like, what are the character traits of success? And, and I was going to, ask that question from a perspective of like, what do you see in yourself that allowed you to create success again and again? But now I'm going to ask it from the perspective of what did you learn in those years of being super, super curious and asking the questions and, and, uh, about, the commonalities of success, what, what all of those people had in common? Oh, it's such a good question. Hands down. Number one, successful people are quick decision makers. Hands down. hundred percent. That's okay. For my my listening audience. Okay. Who have heard me use that phrase over and over and over again. I, Christina and I have never talked about that before. And our lives. So I'm constantly saying, be a quick decider. Success loves speed, right? These are, these are the memes, the, the concepts that I share with my, my podcast audience, my clients and anyone really who will listen because it was such a wake up call that you didn't have to overthink. You could trust yourself. You could make decisions. You could make decisions quickly, get, get a result. It might not be the result you want, but you get the result so much faster than if you, you didn't make the decision at all. So tell me your slant on that. How do you see it? Yeah, it's, it's like for sure it comes down to trusting yourself and recognizing that there never actually is a right decision. Like if we just eliminate the concept of the thought that every decision is a right decision and there's a wrong decision, it's just a decision and it gets you in motion. When you're in indecision, it's painful. You're spinning, you're contemplating and you're in your head, you're overthinking, you're overwhelmed, you're confused. But the moment you make decision, 
you have forward momentum, you move, like you're moving towards something. And think about like, if you have a stalled car, if you try pushing a stalled car up a hill and it stopped, it's going to be near impossible to get it going by yourself. But if you have a car that's already rolling and it's stalled, but it's like in motion already and it's rolling, you can easily turn the steering wheel. The car is going to turn. There's going to be motion. So the same applies for when you make a decision. When you make a decision, you're moving forward and you can course correct. You can adapt. But if you don't ever make the decision, you're never going to find out where you get to go. So hundred percent that hands down is the one of like the key success traits. Totally. Okay. I love that. And you saw that in these, these people that you were constantly asking questions of. You saw this again and again. Yeah. And the other thing for them is that they were not emotional around money. They managed their mind about what they were creating and there was not drama around stuff. There wasn't complaining around stuff. They weren't at effect to stuff. It wasn't Oh, because the economy's happening, this means this is happening for me, or because of this, it was they come from a place of being at cause. They're the ones that are creating something, therefore they're not complaining of it as well. And so they're they're really stepping into being the creator. They make things happen. And it's like if it's not there, it doesn't matter. It's like they get to create it. So there's just so many, uh, so many incredible characteristics that are just so valuable to learn. And you just start to see that. Every single person at that level, I mean, the more money to make, the way I look at it too, is like the more money you make, the less triggers you have, emotional triggers you have, the less stuff bothers you. And the less you make, the more stuff bothers you. Like it's just so fascinating, but like in, and not even just in your business, but just in your life, like your husband, like it might irritate you about something because like you have an emotional trigger around something. And I can tell you the more money you make, the less you respond, the rest you have that like reaction, or you might quickly react and catch yourself and not go down the rabbit hole of emotions. But it's, um, yeah, I think that's a big piece too. I think that's uh, it's really insightful. I, I wonder how much of the you know, which comes first chicken and egg, right? Like, do you need to learn to be less reactive so that your response to money changes so that you can create money differently? Or does having more money allow you to be less reactive? And and it's probably a little bit of both. I know that for, for me, I really, when I was working through my money stuff, I had to act as if, like I had to put myself, I was like, okay, if I want to be here at this this level, which is like a thousand times higher than where I am currently, I have to act as if not fake it till you make it. It wasn't faking it. It was like, who am I now at that level? Like, how could I, how could I energetically hold being that, that kind of person and make decisions from that place rather than from where I was? And I had to start that before I was there. And then once I, got there. And of course there's no there, there you keep growing. But once I got to that, that place that I had previously been imagining, then there was the fact that money actually made my life a lot easier. It, I didn't flip out if I, uh, spent $30 on something and it wasn't the right decision or, you know, $30 or $30,000. Like it, like I remember making a quote unquote $30,000 mistake it actually helped me quite a bit, but like it wasn't what I wanted to happen from that investment. And I didn't flip out about it. And it, I think without 
being flippant, being like Marie Antoinette and saying, just let them eat cake, right? Like there is something about when you have enough, you don't, you don't stress about it and you don't have that kind of irritation or reaction to other people. It changes your relationships with people, not just with money. Thoughts on that? I see money as an enhancer of what is already there. So if you feel unsafe with money when you have no money, you will feel unsafe with money when you have money. If you have drama around money, you will have drama around money when you create it. So I love what you're talking about is acting as if, because when we're in reaction around money, it's in the confines of our current money relationship and how much we're earning. When we operate from a future version of ourselves where those money problems are not there, we're operating, thinking, acting, reacting in the way that we would had we had it there. Therefore, in essence, acting as if, being as if is an absence of those money dramas, emotions, feelings. Anyways, therefore, without it, by the time you get there, you create it, it's not there anymore. Yeah. But... Um, but I, I do think, I think money enhances much of who we are as people. And, and it's like, if we think when I have money, it's going to solve my problems or I'm going to feel a certain way. I actually think that it emphasizes with you, like it's like 10 X the experience <laughs> that you had before. And, and so I also think too, as women, we are wired to require feeling safe. It's like, it's something that's like ingrained in us from our like old days of like survival of feeling safe. And we women, and I noticed this even when I worked in wealth management, men would be way more growth oriented typically. They would risk a lot more and they didn't have the same feeling. Most of the women wanted to know that they weren't going to lose their money, that they were going to be safe, that there was going to be enough. And so women are just wired differently. And, and so in my own business, I started recognizing like little hacks that you do sometimes of like, okay, where do I not feel safe with money? Like maybe there's not enough. Or, okay, so what would have me feel safe? And so I started thinking about like, how much money do I need to sit, have in my bank account to look at, to know like, I'm okay, like I'm going to be safe. And that number changed as the business grew and as my revenue grew, you know, what originally was like, oh, there's like a thousand dollars in there. Oh my gosh, like there's money in there to 10,000 to, okay, six figures. And then I was like, okay, maybe it's half a million or, 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 you know, and like, and that number has grown, but recognizing and feeling the safety of that and knowing what that looks like. And sometimes we have to hack our hack ourselves. Like a quick little hack that I did too, was that I used to, it used to stress me out when I would see like a big visa balance. So especially when you're going through and you're running ad campaigns and you're doing a launch and it's like, Oh my gosh, like the money is like disappearing pretty quickly. It's going out and it can bring up like thoughts, you know, questions, concerns, stuff coming up for a launch. And so I'd see the money, so I'd see the money going out and I'd see like, or I'd invest in mentorship and you see, you'd see like a big balance sitting on the visa. And it was, I found that that would stress me out. And so what I started doing was like, okay, I just don't like to see the balance there. So what I started doing is I'd like pay my visa. Every time there was a balance, I would just get rid of the balance and it would just be gone. So there was like nothing ever there. And that gave me a sense of safety and certainty and so I know that if I have safety and certainty, 
that I know that I'm going to grow and I can expand because I can trust that I've got that safety and certainty there. So I've found ways to be able to hack my, my own mind and brain to be able to be comfortable, to be able to take bigger risks, which is part of big part of building a business too, is taking risks. hundred percent. I love that. And I think that's really astute and, and important to understand that as as women, and, and I think this is, you know, there's a spectrum here and men need safety too. And men have the feminine essence and the masculine essence and so do women. And what kind of safety do you need as an individual? And I think that's really an important piece. And yet let's balance that or, or let's, let's put the, this together with the fact that you have to be somewhat of a risk taker to go start your own business. So you needed a certain amount of safety, but you were also willing to go start your own business. And, and can you connect your answer or thoughts around this to how you, you mentioned that you, you also you, you, you made millions, you lost millions. And so you experienced not having that safety there. And yet did that build safety in some way? Like it built your trust that you would, you would be okay. Like, okay, the money is not actually what makes me safe. Oh, such a good question. So the first time that I lost, <laughs> the first time that I lost money, it was, in was when it was like the whole meltdown of the economy, 2007, 2008. And I went through a divorce, the stock market crashed, the world economy just completely shut down. And I went from on a high to like everything dissolving away pretty quickly. And uh, I felt very uncertain and, and had a lot of stories around money. And so for me, when I was building when I was building my business later on, when I started building my business, uh, I had to like actually overcome what I call like almost like money traumas and heal old wounds around money to be able to be open to step into risk again and to be able to go out there. And so it took me, it actually took, and, it, and because of that, I think I made lots of bad decisions, uh, you know, investments. And it took me three years to be profitable in my business because I was investing and I was learning and I was obsessed with learning. And I looked at it as like, I'm investing in my education. I'm figuring this out. I'm, I, I get to create that. And it was a couple of like when we went through, when COVID hit and the economy kind of went through like a whole uproar again and everyone got scared and things were shutting down. My husband had made a considerable investment into, into a specific stock and he kept adding money to it and the stock was growing up and it was great. And I'm like, you know what, honey? I think it's like, I think we should sell Like, I think we should take the profit. Like, let's just cash in. Let's take the profit. We've made a lot of money. At that point in time, we'd made like over a million dollars in this one investment. I'm like, let's sell. And he's like, no, I think it's going to keep going. And I just gave my power away. And I said, okay, you deal with this. You look after this. Fine. It's like your baby. And unfortunately, it tanked. The stock crashed. It was, um, there was political stuff that was related to it and the stock completely crashed and we ended up losing a million dollars in this one investment. So pause there. Are you, are you saying it went up a million and it went down to where you started or down lower to a million dollars lower? Million dollars lower. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. 
Oh, ouch. That is such an ouch. Okay. So you're breathing through this and uh, talk to me about how, how, so there's always an opportunity, right? There's law of polarity, right? There's, there's always an opportunity, even when something uh, big that you don't want happens like that. How did you reframe that for yourself? And it, was there anything that you took away? I mean, this is a, a leading underhand pitch here, but um, was there anything that you took away from it in terms of what you said around giving away your power? Yes, definitely. Definitely. I, I was in blame at first, right? I was definitely in blame at first and just angry and just lots of negative emotions and, and then I just really had an opportunity to reflect and realize like, how was I, like, what, how did I create this? Like, how did I source this? How did I, like, where's, where's my ownership in this? And, and realizing that we all know as women, if we are really committed about something, we can move mountains and move people to doing like, we could, we're pretty good at influencing men in our life and people in our life when we have like a full commitment to something. And so I really took ownership and responsibility that like, had I really been committed to selling it and standing in my power, like we would have, and I didn't. And I got to choose whether I was going to be in partnership with my husband in a pressure moment or be in blame and create separation uh, because he was obviously in a lot of self-blame and his own emotional state from like what he, what, what had been created as well. And so I chose that we got to be in this together and get out of this together. And, and I went from like, it was like my worst sales month in years that month too. So it was like, not just a hit on losing money, but like a hit on revenue. And from that decision and commitment, um, I ended up having like the next month, it was like a $300,000 month. Like it just blew up and had like, you know, revenue was just continually getting produced and it was coming in with ease because it was just such a commitment, but really stepping in my power and ownership and taking hundred percent responsibility for the results that were showing up in my life. Mm, that's such a good lesson. And, and I love the energetics of that, that, that there's this, that you're recognizing the indirect, but absolutely connected uh, cause and effect between your personal responsibility and the energetics of that, like taking ownership and what happens in your business. And, and blame is such a big freaking stop sign for abundance. And, and, and if I'm in full transparency here, there are times I go into blame. I'm like, why are we doing this? How did this happen? You know, and I can feel that, that coming up in my body. And it's a practice for me not to go there and to really shift it because I think when you do, the world opens up to you because, because blame is, is such a, uh, an addiction to scarcity. It's an addiction to not enough. In, it, it's not a generous, abundant place to be. And, and those might sound like woo woo words, but if you feel into the energetics of it, the, the feeling of it, you know, one is constricted and one is open to receiving. And which one do you choose? And you have to make it a conscious choice. And sometimes, I slip. <laughs> I will, I will admit that. We all do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Me yeah. too. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. Let's shift gears here because one of the things that I, 
I, I read in your bio was that uh, the big inspiration to leave corporate was your daughter and wanting to spend more time with your daughter. And I know that's a big one. I don't, I don't have kids, but I know that's a big one for my clients who are women who do have kids. And I'd love to get your take on juggling motherhood and running a business, the challenges, tips, perspective, anything that you think um, is not just a platitude, but that could be a real actionable um, tip for people in terms of how they go about um, being mom and and CEO. Yeah, it, it's. I think the the one of the greatest personal developments is being a mom and building a business alongside each other. Because man, it's not easy. <laughs> it just brings up so much, and and. I think one of the biggest beliefs that I had to overcome that really held me back for a long time was the belief that I couldn't do well both. Mm. I couldn't do yeah. both of them well, rather, right? Like I couldn't be a great mom and a great wife and run an, build an empire. Like I could have a little bit of success and be a good mom, but I don't know if I could have like, I, I, I there was there was a belief around me that I couldn't have it all. And I think it stemmed from, I mean, so much of our beliefs stem from our upbringing. And I, you know, came from a very traditional home and it, there was a lot of pressure on me to like be a mom and not work even at, you know, in, in <laughs> even now. And, and so there was a lot of guilt associated with like focusing on career, focusing on my business that wasn't mine to carry. It was mine that I took on. That wasn't my beliefs to begin with. And so I really had to go through working through my own beliefs that came from, you know, passed down to me and recognizing and choosing what I see as possible. And when I overcame that belief, everything completely shifted. And what I really realized, and I think this is probably the most important thing is like, we think we have to do all the things so often like we want to be multitasking. We got to do all the things we got to be everywhere all the time to be good at what, what it is that we're doing. And what I started to realize, it's actually not the time that we spend, not the amount of time that we spend on the things we do. It really comes down with the effectiveness and the, the connected time that we have whether that's your time in your business or your time with your children or your time with someone that's important to you in your life, that my kids would take any day, like 20 minutes of undivided, like all about them, attention and full on like all of me, then they would, me being present somewhat during the day and half there and half thinking about something else. So I think it's like redefining what success looks like in areas of our life and recognizing and having the belief, like, what if we could have everything that we want in each of those areas of our lives and no sacrifice? Absolutely. You're speaking my language. I, I, I have the, that perspective that like, what's the point if you're not living a delighted life? It can be more and it doesn't mean that you don't have growth edges places and, and seeing where you can grow, but it's like, yeah, I can receive at that level. I can, I can have, I can have all of the things that I want. And I, I remember I, I had a, a, a very good friend and this was many, many years ago when I lived in California, different, different lifetime ago. And we went on a, a business retreat. We took ourselves on a, on a little spa getaway and we were sitting in a hot tub and we were doing like a visioning practice, like, 
um, of, you know, what our lives would be like when, you know, we had made it kind of thing. And I remember she looked at me and she said, and I was doing, I was like, and I have this house and it overlooks these rolling hills and I have this kind of relationship and I'm, right? Like I, I was painting the whole picture and she looked at me and she said, you know, you can't have it all. And I was like, what? <laughs> no, I, I refuse to believe that. And it's so, cause I was deep in it, in the, 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 the picture, but, um, I, I don't know that it you can have it all if you don't want it all. Okay. If that isn't your intention. So good. Right. Yeah. If, and 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 I I consistently ask myself, continuously ask myself, where am I limiting my all? Because we we have different layers and levels to it. So I think that's really, really super smart. There was something else that you said that I wanted to circle back to. Let's see. Oh, the 20 minutes of undivided attention. That is so good. I just want to underscore that for our listeners that that huge. I think that's something, would you agree with me that that is something that the feminine in us really craves? Like we just want to be seen. We want like the attention fully focused on us. Like we want to be adored and cherished and really seen for who we are. And I just think that's important for kids and for people both, like to have that level of, of presence. Oh, it's so true. It's like everything comes from that. It's like being seen creates safety, it creates presence, it creates certainty, it creates significance, it creates experience of love and intimacy, right? Into me, you see, like it, it creates that experience and, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing to me that when we do spend that concentrated time with ourselves, with our loved ones and on the things that we do in our business, how, how, how much greater the results are from that versus the amount of hours we can spend. Absolutely. hundred percent. Okay. Let's shift from the metaphysical that we're talking about or the more, the more soft side to shifting to Facebook, which is very tactical. Okay. But let's bring some of that. Uh, well, why don't we just start with that? Let, let, let's go there. How you, you, I want to hear your whole sort of framework and perspective on Facebook groups, but I would love for you to start with like the energetics of it, because I think that's, my trouble right now. And I'd love to validate that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so for me, like what I really realized was I felt like things were happening slowly for me in my business earlier on. And I was kept feeling like I was missing something that I wasn't really in relationship with people. Like there was people on my list, but I wasn't really in relationship with them. And it brought me back to when I was in, in corporate. I remember one of my mentors saying to me, I asked her, I was like, what's the key to success? And she says, Christina, it's like really easy. And she's like, we're out for lunch over a glass of wine. And she leans in over the table and she says, I'll tell you what it is. I'm like, okay, great. She <laughs> says, it's just about relationships. Yeah. Um, I was like, at the time, I'm like, oh, that's not the answer I was looking for. But I remembered this and I I realized that where the gap was is like I was missing connection. There's a missing connection that was in building relationships. And and I didn't have that. I didn't really know who my people were individually. Like I didn't know them. And so that's when I started my first free Facebook group. And 
I went from like struggling to hit a five figure month at the time to having a $30,000 month. I wasn't focused on selling. I was just focused on connecting and growing the group and bringing people in and focused out on them. And that was it. And the money followed. So I feel like connection, Facebook groups, when, if we look at like the foundation of it is, is gives us the opportunity to create intimacy, leverage connection uh, with people that are in our audience. And that's really what creates conversions. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. So you know, I have a framework that says that money comes from source, spirit, infinite intelligence through people, through sales. So there's this beautiful, like there's the divinity, there's the infinite, then there's the, the, the human, right? We have to get good with ourselves so that we can get good with other people and be in good relationship. That's like about cleaning up all the inside stuff and, and also knowing how to not be afraid of connection and relationship and all that. And then sales, you have to understand the tactical, there's a mechanism there that moves money and you, you can't be afraid of having a a sales conversation with someone. But I, I teach sales as a, and when I do sales, it's like a real conversation and circling back to Facebook groups. When I first started my Facebook group, this would be I don't know, 2015, somewhere in that range could be earlier 2000. Actually it was earlier 2013, 14, that, that, um, time period. I had a great relationships with everyone in the group and I would ask a question every day and I would go back and forth and it was very, uh, lively and, and engaged and real conversation and real connection. And, over the years, we've done so many things with the, the group. And, and I just looked at the group this morning because I keep going back to it. This is, this is this conversation I'm, I'm having with myself and, and my marketing, uh, strategist. I'm like, it looks like a freaking billboard. There's no conver- even though the intention behind what we're, we're sharing is sharing, like, we, we post tons of great content. We do teachings in there, right? Like it's all this sharing. It feels like a one-sided conversation and like just a billboard and, and it's gone up and down over the years with this. So here's my personal question for you. At this point, given that we've lost the connection and that there, there hasn't been this full loving on interaction, personal engagement in there. Would you start over again afresh? Because there's all these people in the group that have never felt seen, right? Never felt connected with. They've joined and they're like, what is this group? And then they, there's nothing there um, for them to latch onto. I mean, there's a lot of content, but there's no energetic there. Um, Or would you rehab the existing group? How would you go about deciding that? So there's two sides of the coin I would look at. From a tactical perspective, I would look at what's your actual active members in the group. And the active member rating inside of your group, you, you want to look at it as a percentage of total members. So a percentage of active members to total members. And this can shock people because sometimes we think people aren't reading or consuming because we don't see them commenting. 
And active members is actually a measure of people that are like, they click read more, they're watching videos and we, they're participating in their viewing, but we don't know it because they're not outwardly engaging. And so your active members is actually a true reflection of your engagement, not just the people that are liking and commenting. Like if you think about, if you think about a football team, if everybody played quarterback, you wouldn't have a team. Right. Completely. So, but we want everyone in our group to be actively engaged and talking. So we want them all to play quarterback, but we forget that there's lots of other people that contribute to, contribute to the group. What should that percentage be? So it depends on the size of your group. The bigger your group, the lower the percentage will be. That's just a natural equation. Like you're going to see a diminishing percentage of active members with the larger the group. So typically with a small group, you're looking at 85% active members. If you're looking at a small group of, you know, under a thousand members, I would say you're looking at a higher percentage there. If you have a large group that's over, you know, 5,000 or, you know, you're looking at multiple thousands of people, larger group, then you're typically probably more like a 60% active members inside of your group. So it really depends on where you're at. If you're less than 25% active members in your group, it's going to be a really tough, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough journey to try and bring the group back to life. Is it impossible? No, but it's going to be like, you're going to have to put in a fair bit of effort to turn the ship around. Um, so, so that's what I would say is like from the tactical perspective, like let's look at the data first before making any decisions, see what that shows. But from the energetic side, I always like to look at number one is does, are the people in the group, are your ideal people? Like is the majority of the group, does it feel like these are, these are my people and, and sitting with that question, right? Really sitting with it. And that's one. And the second part is like, do I feel aligned to this group? Like, do I really feel aligned to the, like energetically to these people in this group? And so for me, I had a group, I had a pretty large group that I shut down because there was, it was out of alignment. I had grown, I changed, I'd adapted and the group was from yesterday and it was no longer a reflection of who I was or who I wanted to call in. Therefore, it was no longer a match. And I hesitated on that decision for a long time. So I'm like, I'm known by many as the go-to expert on Facebook groups. And I'm like, okay, am I going to shut down this group? And I hesitated. I put it off and I 100% use Facebook groups all the time in my business now. Like we use Facebook groups all the time. Like I live and breathe them. We still use them. Um, but as I've grown and scaled my business, we use them in a different strategy. So rather than having a long-term group that's open all the time, we create sprint groups or pop-up groups as we run through campaigns. So we typically have a new one open every month and energetically everyone's coming in for a same purpose, same cause. And we move through it. And that to me is like, I'm fun. It's fun. It's exciting. I love the people that are in there and, um, and it works really well, but that strategy does not work well if you haven't mastered building an audience and you haven't mastered selling it because you're, you're like, you have to be good at building an audience and selling to them if you're going to bring people in and then shut it down and bring people in and shut it down. It's bringing it to life. So in early stages, I definitely don't recommend people start with that, that you start with a long-term group and develop your skill set. And once you develop your skill set, your strategy can match your new skill set and like what fires you up. 
I love that. So that's really super, super, super helpful. So I have been, th- that strategy has been at the sort of outside of my awareness that's, you know, I've, I've talked to, I have colleagues that do these little sprint groups and I'm like, oh, that's curious. I like that. And I like that from an energetics perspective because then I, as the business owner, can be all in for a short period of time, be fully focused. I, to, our, to your point earlier, you can, you can give your energy and your focus to it with intentionality and you're not splayed out um, doing a thousand other things. You can be very focused. I love that. So talk to me about the, the building the audience. Like what makes you good at building an audience? Does the audience have to come through Facebook ads? Are you building an audience that way? Is it existing audience that you're asking them to come back again and again to a different group? What do you mean by building audience there? So there's three forms of traffic for building an audience. There's free traffic, right? Which is like, we're active on social media. We're focused on maybe it's podcast, like being on podcasts, maybe it's blogging, like whatever our, our, the SEO, our free methods of traffic that we focus on. Then there's paid traffic, which is pay to play. So paid advertising, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, TikTok ads, YouTube ads, whichever you're paying for paid advertising could be paid sponsorships. And then joint venture traffic, which is collaborative traffic. So summits, interviews, guest experts, introductions, referrals, you know, um, giveaways, all sorts of traffic coming in. So three forms of traffic. So if we think about your Facebook group, think about your Facebook group is like a digital living room and all of your other social platforms are like a storefront. So at the storefront, they're looking at the store. They're like, Oh, am I going to come inside? Like, am I going to come in? Am I going to come into the store? And your Facebook group is like coming into the store, coming into your digital living room. So it's a container. And when your container, think about if you have, um, like if you're walking by, so I live um, near a beach and if you're walking down the beach or you go somewhere where you haven't been before, like you're walking down the beach and there's a whole bunch of lineups of restaurants on the beach, the one that has the most people in it, you're going to think, oh, this must be a good place to go because everyone's going there. So I want you to think about your Facebook group being the same way when you're bringing traffic to your Facebook group from whichever means free, paid, joint venture, whatever your traffic strategy is or a combination thereof, Facebook says, oh, like this is a place to be. People are hanging out here. This is a good place. Like let's send more people, like the people that are in there to go hang out there because like this is the in place right now. We're going to send more people there. So Facebook will start doing your marketing for you when you're creating an experience in your group that you have members coming in and you have active members in your group. So they look at those two measures of, of success. And when you create that, the growth rate of your group skyrockets because Facebook's like, oh, we're going to just keep sending more people to them. People are happy there. They're going to be on our platform longer. Let's send more traffic. So if I break this down, you're playing on all three of these, uh, in these places, your, your free, uh, social, your pay to play, and then the, the, um, kind of free giveaways and summits and things like that. And all of those are leading to this month's or this quarter's or however often you're doing it, um, Facebook group. And you have a strategy for instantaneously engaging people when they arrive so that those people, when they arrive, 
they they start engaging and then Facebook goes, oh, hey, look, people like it here. And then they start sending more people based on some crazy algorithm that they understand that shows your group to like-minded people who they think would would enjoy it, correct? Yes, exactly. And the one thing that I want to highlight is that if you're just starting, you don't want to be diving into all traffic sources. You're going to choose one and get really good at it before you add another one. So I just want to add that. I'm running a multiple seven-figure-a-year business. Therefore, we have lots of traffic sources and we've mastered multiple opportunities to generate traffic. But if you're earlier stages of business, less is more, right? Focus on one, build that out, and then you can add another one and another one and build upon it. Yeah. Okay. I love this. We're going to do this. I will keep you posted. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so so this, good. This is great. I just got some coaching, free coaching on <laughs> podcast host. I love it though. But you know, we, I do a lot of things really well. And then there's places where like, Hey, I know I can see, I can feel, I can identify this isn't working. And I let go and I gave, gave, um, the go ahead to like run ads. Let's, let's run ads to the Facebook group and try this whole strategy. And I, I kind of had for me, my version of hands off, it wasn't completely hands off, but my version of hands off and the targeting was off and it just never felt right. And, you know, it was a big, it was big ad spend. It was big investment in, in making that happen. And I, and just like you had this sort of, uh, I gave away my power. I, I could feel myself making the wrong decision around the, the investment thing. I remember thinking a year ago, we need to refresh this, that like, this isn't, I I mean, there are some people, anyone who's in my Facebook group and loves the Facebook group, I'm I'm telling you, I feel you. Like when, when I, uh, there are some core people who show up there and I'm super appreciative of them, but, but the, it's changed over time. And I, I have been feeling this push pull, but it hasn't been a place where I have put my attention and love and now I'm going to. So I really super duper appreciate that. And I hope podcast listeners get the transparency there that like there are things in your business that you just watch for a little while sometimes. And uh, in with 2020 hindsight, that, that knowledge that I had of letting it go, or it wasn't, uh, it was starting over. It wasn't giving up on it. It was starting over in a different fashion. I needed to listen to that, but I wouldn't know that if I hadn't gone through this experience. So well worth it and appreciative of that. Okay. So before I ask you my final questions, where can people find you if they want to know more about your coaching and Facebook groups and all of that? Yeah. So since we're, since we're talking about Facebook groups to me, I look at, you know, like what are the keys like to, to get it going and get moving. And one of the things that you and I were just talking about was, um, like, what do you do with people as soon as they, like when they come in your group? So I've got a special gift that is actually something that we, um, sell, but I'm going to gift it to you guys. And it's, it's the grow your group bundle. And what's included number one is how to name your group. So how to have the perfect name. And it goes through a formula for that fill in the blank formula for naming your group. So people, people have like three seconds to figure out when they're going to click. Are they going to click? Does it make sense to them? Are they going to land on there? So a Facebook group naming formula. The next thing that's in it is um, how to create the perfect 
irresistible intro post, like how to, how to really create a standout intro post that people get, how you can help them, creates connection, intimacy with them, all that. And then the third piece is five step mini course on growing your group. So if, this is great to think about like where are we getting members from and getting started with that. So five step mini course on growing your group. So you can pick up that. And I believe the link will be in the show notes. Yeah. What is, do you have the link that you want to mention out loud in case people? I do. Yeah. Deliveryourgenius.com forward slash Amira. Okay. It's under my name. Okay. Thank you. Well, I'm going to go download that. I was thinking as you were saying this, I'm like, I need that. I need that. I need that. I'm going to go download that um, right after we get off this podcast. So I love that. Thank you for setting that up. Appreciate it. Okay. So I have two final questions for you. Shifting my energy slightly from Facebook groups and tactical to this. What do you love most about yourself? Oh my goodness. That's a great question. The first thing that comes up is, I'm like, I'm just going to say the first thing that came up because I didn't know this question was coming and just really thinking about what it is. The first thing that came up to me is like honesty. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting word that comes up. And for me, I think it's just about being real, not only like honest with other people and starting up with other people, but being honest with yourself. And I don't think we can ever fully trust ourselves unless we're really honest with ourselves of what, what it is that we see, the good, the bad, the ugly and everything in between. All of it. I love that. I love that. That's a powerful answer. And what makes you, this is the Unstoppable Woman podcast. What makes you an unstoppable woman? Oh, it's so good. So I think there's three, there's, there's three things and it's, um, I am a loving, trusting, committed woman. And to me, embodying those three things um, is what makes me unstoppable. Mm, I love that. And that, that the honesty piece builds that self-trust. So those two answers really go hand in hand together. So thank you so much, Christina. This has been such a great conversation. I've really appreciated the, the synergies between our lives and also your perspective on success and how you've been very generous about sharing, you know, where you've gone awry and how you've adjusted your thinking and grown yourself along the way so that you can keep learning and growing and the generosity on helping me fix my Facebook group strategy. I appreciate that very, very much. And I know our audience is going to eat this up. So thank you so much for, for being you. And I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Some great questions today. You're welcome. 